Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Believe it or not, it is Christmas time. We are into the Christmas season. And if you forgot that, then we put some greenery up to remind you of that truth as we gather here today. But it is Christmas time, and it's the beginning of the Christmas season. And with it being the beginning of the Christmas season, you may have some lists, some Christmas lists that you are preparing or someone in your home is preparing. And if that's the case, I just want you to think for a moment, what is on your Christmas list? This year, or what is on the Christmas list that has been shared with you by someone in your home? If you've got a little boy in your home, they they may want a 33 inch tall bat cave. The internet tells me that is a hot gift item this year. And when I when I heard that, I'm like, wow, the bat cave that I had wasn't 33 inches tall back in the day. Uh, And so now I have something new for my Christmas list. Um, But maybe that's what's on your Christmas list, or maybe it's some Legos, or maybe if you're a little older, it is a Lexus December to remember, or or maybe it's something from a jewelry store. But whatever it is, there are a number of different things that are on our Christmas lists uh, as we head into this month. Now, it's easy for us to think about those lists and to chalk it up to the idea of materialism, that we're just a materialistic group. But, but friends, I, I would offer an alternative explanation. I think that materialism plays a role, but maybe not as we think about it. I think for the most part, all of us are seeking joy. All of us want to be on a joy ride. That's what we, we most want. That's what we most desire, that settled contentment, that happiness that might settle across our lives And as it relates to the things that we ask for for Christmas or that those around us are asking for for Christmas, at some level, there are expressions of, if I just had this or if I just had that, it might give me a little more happiness. It might deliver to me a little more joy. See, we we are on a, a joy ride. But here's the challenge with that. The things that we ask for for Christmas, do they deliver joy? Well, sometimes. We hope they do, but does that joy last? Sadly, the answer to that is probably no. Some of the things that we just have to have, we don't want even a month or two later. Other things might might endure for a little while, but ultimately uh, the joy that comes from most things in our lives just doesn't endure. It breaks, it gets boxed up, it gets put in the attic, it gets donated to goodwill. And this is true not only of of the things in our life, but it's also true of the people in our lives. If we look to other people around us to provide the joy that we so desperately desire, oftentimes what we find is that that joy is also fleeting because people hurt us at times. They disappoint us at times. And so joy, which is something that we so desperately want, can often be hard for us to attain and certainly difficult for us to sustain. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was someone or something that could deliver to us a lasting joy? 
Well, friends, if that is what we're dealing with and what we're thinking about, then, then I have some great news for us today. Because there is someone who can deliver to us a lasting joy. And that one who can deliver to us a joy that endures is Jesus Christ himself. The joy that we most long for doesn't come from the North Pole, and Amazon doesn't deliver it. But the joy that we long for is available to all of us in Jesus Christ. And when we look at our New Testament, we find a document that is full of references to joy. As a matter of fact, the word joy, rejoice, and exceeding joy, those three words are used 136 times in our New Testament. So when it comes to joy, our New Testament is telling us, God is telling us through our Bibles that real joy is available to all of us in Christ. But we ought to ask the question, is the joy that Jesus provides, does it really endure? Well, I believe that it does, and the Scripture actually indicates as much. It's interesting to do a study of the word that is translated in our English Bible, exceeding joy. It appears 12 times in our New Testament. A few of those references I'll put up here. The exceeding joy, the joy to the max that is referenced in Scripture, connected to Christ, how is it, how is it demonstrated, and when is it demonstrated? Well, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 tells us that that exceeding joy is available even when we are persecuted in Jesus' name. So we would think of persecution as something that would steal our joy. Jesus says, if your joy is found in me, you can have exceeding joy even amidst persecution. Luke chapter 1, verse 47, Mary finds out that she's going to be the mother of Jesus and immediately those closest to her misunderstand what is going on and her husband is considering divorce and her family may have been confused and don't even get me started about what was happening at the water cooler and the, the local establishment in her town. I mean, it was confusing. She was misunderstood and yet Mary sings in her Magnificat in Luke 1, that she has an exceeding joy even while she is misunderstood. Being misunderstood is, is hurtful, it can steal our joy, but there's a joy that is available that can endure even being misunderstood. Peter writes in his epistle of 1 Peter uh, in a couple of different places. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says that it's possible to have an exceeding joy even amidst varied difficulties and even while we are suffering. Friends, there is a joy, an exceeding joy, that goes beyond our circumstances, that will endure no matter what, because it's anchored to something that is not prone to corruption. Friends, we are on a joy ride. We long for joy. Where is it found? Lasting joy is found in Jesus. And all month long here at Wildwood, we're going to be talking about this joy that has come to the world because the Lord Jesus has come. And we're going to be doing that in our, our Sunday services. We're going to open God's Word and look at a number of different messages over the next month. And we're going to gather on Christmas Eve. We're going to read the Christmas story together. And we're going to read it through the lens of how it provides joy for us, each of us, an enduring joy that is available to us. We're going to look at that over the next month, but we're also going to be doing so not just in our gathered times, but also as we're scattered about uh, through a devotional. And on my blog, you can find both 
those devotions posted daily, or you can download all of them if you would like to follow along and read God's Word and read it through the lens of seeing the reasons for joy in Jesus this Christmas. We've got a number of opportunities as a church family to do that. And today, as we gather, we're going to be kicking off this series by looking at a psalm, Psalm 98. Now, you might be wondering, why is it that we're going to look at Psalm 98 on November the 28th, the first Sunday of the Christmas season? Well, the reason why we're going to do that is because Psalm 98 is actually the source material for the great song, Joy to the World. Isaac Watts actually wrote a poem all the way back in 1718, and he included, he included it in, a, in a, a, an annal where he had taken New Testament language and adapted it to Old Testament psalms, one of which was Psalm 98. Psalm 98 is not technically about Jesus' birth, but it does talk about a joyous response to what God has done and ultimately what he will do when the Savior comes. And today we're going to look at Psalm 98 and have it be our first reminder of the joy, the enduring joy that is available in Jesus and how we might respond to that. So if you've got a Bible, take it out and open to Psalm 98. Psalm 98, we're going to be looking at the first nine verses, or all nine verses of Psalm 98. I want to read this psalm for us, and then after reading it, I'm going to back up and make three observations as we connect its truth to our lives. Psalm 98 begins and says this, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. Before the Lord, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Now, friends, in these verses, we're going to see three things today that remind us to anchor our joy to Jesus. Well, what are those things? Well, the first thing that we're going to see is that there is joy in Christmas past. There is joy in Christmas past. And we see this in the first three verses of this psalm. Now, what do we mean when we talk about looking to the past and finding some joy there? Well, we, we see this in what the psalmist does at the beginning of the psalm. He begins and says, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. In other words, it's a call to action. Stand up and celebrate, the psalmist says, to the nation of Israel, to whom this was first given. Why are they to stand up and celebrate? They are to stand up and celebrate as they remember what God had done for them in their past. Look at what it says. It says, why are they to stand up and celebrate? Because he has done marvelous things. 
The Lord has made known his salvation. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. Because God has demonstrated his love, because God has saved the nation of Israel, they are to stand up and sing. They are to look to their past. They are to remember what God has done, and they are to respond. Now, what was he referring to as he talked about the marvelous things the Lord had done in their past and the salvation that he had brought? Well, what he's talking about is the mighty works that God had done for Israel. Think back to when they were slaves in Egypt, and God called them out of Egypt, and with Moses led them through the Red Sea and out of that nation and into the promised land. That was a marvelous thing the Lord had done. He, he saved them from that oppression. And not only did he save them there, but he provided for them in miraculous ways, food and water as they wandered in the wilderness. Miraculously, their clothes didn't even wear out during their time of wandering. The Lord had done wondrous things for them. The psalmist says, remember those things. Remember how when we got to the land, the Lord cleared the way in front of us so that we might inhabit this. We might have a place to call our own. And then he allowed the nation to be established. And under the time of David and his son Solomon, they experienced this joy of being a nation. And even as they fell into disobedience and went away into exile, the Lord brought them back after a period of discipline from Babylon and established them again. See, the psalmist is, is writing here, and he says to the nation of Israel, I want you to look back into the past, and I want you to remember what God has done and remember why he did it. He did it because he loves you, and he's faithful to his promises. He encouraged them to worship in light of what God had done in their past. But I want us to see something else. Not only does he call them to remember what God did in their past, but he lets them know and reminds them that what God did in their past, he did in public. He didn't do it in private. God didn't just come and touch the hearts of the Israelites so that their hearts were warmed. But God actually did things in public and in history why? So that others might see it, so that others might know about it. Look at what it says. He says, he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Why all of the, the fireworks as they came out of Egypt? So that Egypt might know. Why the, the demonstrable events as they, they walked into the promised land? So that the people of that area might know and that people like Rahab and others might Seek to know the God of the nation of Israel. You see, God did his work in the past, and he did it in public as an invitation for others who saw his work to embrace him and to trust him and to follow him. You see, the psalmist says there are things in the past for us to remember, and as we remember them, that they would be an encouragement for us to worship. Now, all of this relates to the nation of Israel and the direct context of the psalm. But as we gather today, as we think about this psalm, I want us to remember our Christmas past. I want us to remember what the Lord has done for us. I mean, think about the fact that, that all of us living here in Oklahoma and being in this room at this time in history, that God has gotten this message of salvation to us. Jesus came into the world. He 
was born in Bethlehem. He lived this life of ministry. He died on the cross and he rose from the grave. He has done an amazing thing to provide a way for our sins to be forgiven and for us to be connected to God forever. When we look at the past, when we look at the Christmas past, the things related to the coming of Jesus into the world, we have reason to celebrate. We have reason to sing a new song. And I want us to remember that what we have to remember in what Jesus has done is something that he also did in public. Jesus didn't just come and being born in Bethlehem, retreat to a monastery where one person had access to him and he could whisper in their ear great truths. But Jesus, in his first advent, his birth in Bethlehem, his ministry, his life, his death, his resurrection, were all done in public. So let's think about this. His birth was not a secret. Now, you might say, well, there weren't as many people there as we would have anticipated when the Messiah came. That's true. But it wasn't because there wasn't an opportunity. See, those who were looking at the sky saw the star. And those who saw the star of the Magi, they came and they inquired of the religious leaders in Jerusalem, where is Messiah to be born? They said, right down the road in Bethlehem. There was advertisement, there was prophecy, there was understanding, there was a star in the sky. It was advertised, it was done in public so that the world might know. Angels appeared in the sky so that the shepherds might attend. What God has done in the birth of Christ was done in public. It was done in public as an invitation to us. Not only that, but Jesus' ministry was in public. Again, he did not retreat away from people, but he stayed among people. This is a remarkable thing. The miracles that Jesus wrought were not done as one-offs with only one person seeing them. He worked these miracles in crowds with thousands so that everyone would know who he was and what he had come to do. Jesus was validating his identity, and he did so in public, not only for those of the first century to see, but also for us to understand as we look at the account of Scripture even today. As we read about who Jesus was and what he did in his first coming, we are reminded of his true identity as the Son of God as well. He was born in public. He did his ministry in public. People heard his sermons. They they touched his arms and his legs and his feet. He wasn't a secret. He wasn't a ghost. He really came. Not only that, but he he died in front of a crowd. You think about the death of Jesus. He died a very public death. When the Romans executed someone, they executed them in a very public way, in a very public place, to serve as a deterrent to everybody who saw it. Don't mess with the Romans. So when the Romans execute Jesus, they don't take him into a back room and they invite maybe just Peter to watch what was to transpire, but they take Jesus to a major highway where they hang him on a cross where he stays for a few hours until he breathes his last. Jesus' death, friends, was in public by professional executioners. It was for the world to see so that we would know that he really did die And he really did die not for his sins. He had none. He really did die for our sins. But not only did he die, but friends, he also rose from the dead. And his resurrection is also clearly seen. 
After Jesus is taken down from the cross, he is not put in a hidden tomb. He is put in a tomb that everybody knew about. So much so that they sealed that tomb and they put soldiers outside to guard it. It was a very public event. It wasn't Jesus disappeared someplace. His body went somewhere. No, his body went to a specific place and everybody knew. But that grave couldn't hold him because Jesus was to triumph over death. Friends, when we think about all of what Jesus has done, he has revealed God to us and made a way for us to connect to God. And he has done so in public. And he was in public on purpose as an invitation for us to come and to know him. And this invitation goes not just to those who were in the first century and not just to those of us in this room that maybe even grew up in the church. But this is an invitation that goes out to all Jesus has worked in the past and he has made a way in the past that was done in public so that all would know of the invitation to trust and to follow him. The reason why it's joy to the world is because Jesus desired people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to know of this truth and to follow him. So there is reason for joy, friends, in Christmas past. But I want to say one more thing about this before we go on. Not only is there joy in Christmas past in terms of the past of what Jesus did in history, but also there's joy in our recent past, isn't there? I mean, if you were with us last Sunday at Wildwood, you were able to see 23 people profess their faith in Christ and be baptized. And before each baptism, they were able to share their story. And I have spent most of this week just thanking the Lord for his work and faithfulness in their lives. Some of them are are here this morning, and it's just such an encouragement to be a part of the same church family that reminds us that Jesus is at work, not just in a long time ago history, but right now. If you weren't with us last Sunday, go and watch the stream of those services. And even if you were here, but you were only in one hour, go and watch the other hours because the stories that are told remind us that Jesus is still at work. There's a past, not just in history, there's a past in our lives of how Jesus has worked. And if we were to go around the room and share stories, we would continue to share more and more stories of what Jesus has done in our lives. And so when we think of anchoring our joy to Jesus, part of what that means is we look to our past and we look to the past of what he has done and we remember that he has demonstrated his love and his faithfulness to us as well. And so there is this reason for joy in Christmas past. But a second thing that we need to see is this. There is joy in Christmas present. There's joy in Christmas present. Now, you know where this is headed, right? You've seen that movie. Okay, so there's joy in Christmas present. Now, when I say joy in Christmas present, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about what he says in verses four to six. In light of what God has done in our past, and the psalmist would say, in light of what God had done in the nation of Israel in the past, we would say, in light of what God has done for us in Christ in the past, we are to do something in the present. Well, what is it that we're to do? Well, verses four to six tell us. It says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth, Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and with the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. 
Make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Now, when you see these verses up here, what does it encourage us to do? I'll give you two options. The first option is it encourages us to be quiet. The second option is it encourages us to make a noise. Which of those things does these verses encourage us to do? Make a noise, right? Again and again and again. In other words, what Jesus has done for us, what God has done for us in the past is so significant that we should celebrate it. And we should celebrate it in the present. And we should celebrate it regularly. There's a reason for genuine celebration based on what God has done in the past. We celebrate in the present. The language that is found here is is language that would be used to describe when a, a conquering king comes home from battle, the celebration that might ensue in the streets. We might think of it in terms of, you know, a, a team that might win a championship. When that team that wins the championship comes home, there might be a ticker tape parade in the streets. There might be celebration with sound and with music and with cheering and with confetti that would be flying. There's a reason for celebrating and people would gather to celebrate. In the same way, the psalmist says, in light of what God has done, we need to celebrate, and we celebrate by amplifying something together. Now, he's using music here to amplify. So let me ask you, what is it that music amplifies? Music amplifies our emotion. Music amplifies our emotion. Now, some of you, when I say that, are going, wait a second. I thought we were to anchor our hope to truth and not emotion. We we are. We're anchored in the truth. But because this is true, it should impact our emotions. Because it's not just a sentiment, because Jesus really has done things in the past and he has really done things for us, the appropriate response is for us to be stirred in our emotions and to celebrate him and who he is. See, all too often we think that the appropriate response to what God has done is some kind of decorum like a golf clap. You know, just, well done, Jesus, excellent job. No, 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 it's not that. Our response is one of celebration. Our emotions should be stirred. And we amplify that emotion with music. This is what music does. It it, it raises our spirits. The, The beat drives us to our feet. We we might even sway or move a little bit. Our arms might even begin to raise in celebration. Why are we doing that? Because there is something to celebrate. Friends, we believe that what Jesus has done is so significant that it's worth honoring. It's worth celebrating. We want to amplify our emotions with microphones and instruments and lights and screens not to create something that is unreal, but to amplify the most real thing that's going on, that we might collectively declare the greatness of God together. This is what the psalmist says. In light of what has happened in our past, in our present, jump to your feet and celebrate what God has done. This is what it looks like for us. And the the, Isaac Watts in his great song, Joy to the World, describes it this way. Let men their songs employ. Because of what Jesus has done, let us sing. 
Now, this is our response in the present. And it reminds me of something I heard uh, Pastor John MacArthur say a, a number of years ago. Uh, John MacArthur, a, a pastor in Southern California, um, known for his preaching, was asked by a number of people how he created an environment where his family grew up to know Christ. And I fully expected Dr. MacArthur to answer by listening to my sermons because that's what he's known for, right? But what he answered was, was surprising to me and I've remembered it from the day that he said it. It's this. He said, fill your homes with the songs of the Lord. Fill your home with the songs of the Lord. If you want your children to know Christ, if you want your home to be a lighthouse into the neighborhood, fill your home with the songs of the Lord. Because music allows us to connect together as a family as we listen. Music allows us to have our emotions drawn forth as we remember what Christ has done for us. Music is catchy. It's portable. We, we get the tunes stuck in our head. We're able to re- repeat them later on. If we want to, to have an influence for Christ in the next generation, if we want to have an influence for Christ in our homes, Dr. MacArthur said we should fill our homes with the songs of the Lord, and, and I've remembered that. By God's grace, we, we, we try to do that in our house, and I would encourage you to do the same. You know, when we think about how we might do that, Christmas is a great time to start, isn't it? Because not just our homes, but our world is filled with the songs of Jesus at Christmas time. You're going to walk through Walmart at some point in the next 14 days, and you're going to hear of the little town of Bethlehem. You're going to be walking through the mall, and you're going to hear about Hark the Herald Angels singing. You're going to turn on the country radio station and hear them saying, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. See, this is a season where, as a culture, there is an opportunity for us to fill our minds with the songs of the Lord. And in order to help facilitate us, even as a church family, meditating on these truths collectively together in this season, we actually have put together a playlist. We've done this the last several years, but a number of different Christmas songs are tied to the devotions that are on uh, our blog. But but also, uh, this playlist is found on Apple Music and on Spotify you go to Wildwood's webpage, uh, in the Christmas section, you'll find links to these playlists or also on any of the posts on the blog during this season. But there are opportunities for us to fill our homes, fill our minds, fill our cars with the songs of the Lord this season as we remember who he is. There's a reason for us to celebrate, friends, because of what Christ has done. And so there is joy in Christmas past, and there is joy in Christmas present. Does anybody want to guess what the third point is? There's joy in Christmas future. There's joy in Christmas future. And we're reminded of this inside of Psalm 98, verses 7 to 9. At the climactic point of the psalm, when the symbol is getting ready to be hit in this psalm that is written, They begin to talk about what is to come, the things that are yet in the future. And the amazing thing about it is that these things that are referenced here, uh, many of them are things that have yet to transpire even though Christ came in Bethlehem. There are things inside of verses 7 to 9 that look forward to the time when Christ will come a second time to deliver the kingdom that he promised. Now, Where do we see that in these verses? 
Well, it says in the first couple of verses, let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord. Now, when you see these words up here, I I thought of this in the first service. I'll I'll tell you again. Our our worship pastor's name is, is Greg Hill. His family is the Hill family. And I told Greg in the first service that I love this because his family has their own name right here. The Hills are to sing for joy together. Um, Of course, it's not talking about a last name here. These are all things that are talking about nature itself. See, we live in a world that is under a curse. A curse came upon this world when sin entered the world. And therefore, this world is, is prone to corruption. That corruption affects everything, including nature. So that Paul would say in Romans chapter 8 that the world groans awaiting the return of Christ. These verses point to the fact that when Christ returns, when the Messiah comes to establish his kingdom, even nature will experience a blessing. This is why Watson, his hymn, talked about heaven and nature singing when Christ came. What's the anchor to that phrase in the song? The anchor is Psalm 98 and these ideas. Right now, we, we live amidst nature that is experiencing a lot of challenges, right? There, there are storms. There are, are disasters about us, but there will come a time when the lion will lie down with the lamb. The world that groans today will be established tomorrow in Christ. And so we can have joy, not just with what has happened in the past, but looking forward to what will happen in the future. Not only this, but he continues and he says, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Friends, is this phrasing something that has already happened when Christ came into the world? No, Jesus did not come in his first advent to judge the world. But when Jesus comes back, in Revelation chapter 19 makes this quite clear, when Jesus comes back to the earth, he will come to judge the earth. He will come to do away with evil. He he will come to, to bring justice to this planet. He will rule not with inequity, but with equity. See, right now we live in a world that's got a lot of problems. And we live in an era that is very good at pointing out the problems of this world. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't work to have positive things developed in the world, but we need to remember that our ultimate hope is going to come when Christ returns. There is a certainty that we can have. This world is headed someplace the place that Christ has appointed. So as we gather today in the midst of all of the uncertainty of this life, we know that there is something better ahead. There will come a day when the entire world will be ruled with his truth and with his grace. Therefore, we have a reason for joy in the future. I was talking to a friend one time and friend was getting older and, and they, they made the comment. They said, you know, I've, I've entered into a phase of life where I'm giving up more things than I'm gaining. I'm grieving more things than I'm gaining. In other words, you know, jobs were going away. Friends and family members were, were passing away. 
And so there was a, a time in life where, as it relates to our human existence here and now, things were looking, you know, like they were kind of cresting a hill and heading down. You might be feeling some of that pain and situation this morning. But when I look at these verses and I remember what our shared future is in Christ, know that even though our experience right now might be cresting a hill, the best for every single one of us, whether we are 18 or 88, is still to come. Because when Christ comes, then joy will be in the world. See, there is a joy that is available when we remember what Christ is doing in the future. Now, when we think about just this entire psalm and its hope and promise of joy in Christmas, past, present, and future, we're reminded that there is a joy that is available that really does endure, that really does last, and that joy is available in Jesus. And we need to remember this because there are many things around us that are promising us joy. There are things around us that would say that joy comes when somebody is voted in or someone is voted out. There is a world around us that says that the joy is found in what is taught or what is not taught in the classroom. That there is joy that is found when health stats are moving in one direction and not the other. That there is joy that is found when our job is, is fully satisfying. There's a joy that is found when our family is perfect. You know, we, this is the era of the Christmas card. When you take your Christmas card photo, you want that photo to look as perfect as it can, right? Even if it means taking the words Merry Christmas and placing it over your ever-expanding waistline on the card. You're just wanting to hide something. See, we, we think that there's joy that is found in all of the perfection. We think there's joy that is found when our team wins. But all of those things, all of those things, friends, are ultimately leading. There's a joy that endures. And that joy is not found in those things. Those things can ebb and flow. But true joy, lasting joy, is found in Jesus. And that joy is available to the world. Are you trusting in Christ today? If we want to be on a joy ride, joy is found in Him. Father God, thank you so much for just this incredible psalm, the encouragement that we find inside of it. We pray that you would help us just in this moment to anchor our joy to you. There are many things that promise us joy. And not that they're insignificant, but they fluctuate. We of all people can have a staid and true exceeding joy. Lord, may we anchor our joy to you, not in this world, but in yours. Thank you for coming to this earth. Thank you for saving us. I pray that any who are here today who have never placed their faith in you, that they might do so this morning, that they might find the joy that you promise. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. 